He holds all things, all things, all things together. He holds all things. Well, good morning, Lakeside. When the Apostle John looked back on Resurrection Sunday and all that it meant for him and the earliest followers of Jesus, and then he reflected back on the whole life and ministry of Jesus that he was able to witness, he summarized it in this way in the Gospel of John chapter 1. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. We invite you to join us as we sing about this amazing grace.
Again, we're, we're glad that you've joined us. This morning, we're going to be going back to the Gospel of Matthew, and we'll be in chapter 20 today, considering a parable that Jesus told about laborers in a vineyard. In this pandemic, one of the questions that our own governor has posed to all of us citizens that I thought was a helpful question for us to think about was when this is all behind us, what will we hope will have been true about how we responded in this moment? When we have the opportunity to look back and others have the opportunity to look back on our actions during this time, what do we wish that they would be able to say about how we handled this? And I thought that was a great question for all of us to continue to consider together. But I read another article that got me thinking even a little bit further back. Uh, and it made me wrestle with the question, what was I thinking about and focusing upon? And as a church, what were we spending our time on before everything was shut down? And before this pandemic went from being a reality across the world to a reality in our own home. What were we thinking about and what were we focused upon even as a church? What were we reading together and considering and can we already look back on that time in January and in February and say we wish we would have maybe focused on some different things and we, there are certain things we probably could have let go or can we look back and say we're really thankful that our hearts were being prepared for what we would all now be experiencing and so as I did think back and remember that we started off this year in Psalm 146 for the first three weeks of January and how much in that moment, because of events just at the end of 2019, were such an encouragement to us to remember that we cannot put our trust in sons of men, but we need our help and our hope to be in God and God alone, and to trust that ultimately he cares for us. 
And that psalm continues to be, for me, a great encouragement, and I hope also for you. And after our time focusing on Psalm 146, we started a series in the parables that Jesus told in the Gospel of Matthew. Parables are very, very short stories, but they often contain within them profound truth. The stories usually come from everyday experiences in people's lives. And I confessed earlier, and I, I still do, that initially when we started considering the parables together, I wasn't prepared, even though they were familiar to me, with how serious many of them were. In my mind, I thought short stories, parables, okay, lighthearted and otherwise encouraging stories, like you might find in a Reader's Digest. But actually studying the parables and then teaching them and considering together as a congregation brought home just how powerful these stories were and how often Christ concluded these stories by reminding all of the, the listeners of the reality of Judgment Day, that we would all one day stand before him and that we need to take seriously now that reality then. And in warning people about the future, he talked about the reality of hell and judgment for those who reject him and the hope of heaven and the assurance of eternal life for those who receive him. And it was a surprise back then how often these stories of Christ had with them a very serious tone to his followers. But as I looked back on those stories and parables that we were considering in January and February all the way up until March, I looked back mostly again with thankfulness that before a pandemic in a new way revealed to all of us the vulnerability of our own lives that the scriptures, if we had ears to hear and eyes to see, were willing to caution us and warn us about the frailty of life and the reality of death and our need to take seriously where we stand before him. And so today we're going back to the parables, picking up where we left off in early March, and now we're in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 20. And you if you have a Bible, I invite you to read along with me. Uh, Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I'll give you. And so they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And at about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. 
And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. And he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I gave to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? And so the last will be first, and the first will be last. Every story has its own story. And for us to understand what it is that Jesus is saying here in this story of the laborers in this vineyard, it's important for us to ask, why is he telling this story? Uh, initially, when Jesus started telling the parables, he was uh, up in Capernaum by the Sea of Galilee, and pressure was starting to build against his ministry, and people were starting to find ways to catch him and trap him and what he was saying. And so he started telling these parables, both to reveal truth to the disciples, but also to protect himself from those who were trying to trap him and catch him in something that they were going to say, just looking for a reason to arrest him and shut down his ministry. But now, as the gospel has continued, Jesus has begun his trip to Jerusalem, and he has now entered into the region of Judea. And he knows what yet no one around him knows, that this is going to be his last trip into Jerusalem before he dies on the cross and rises from the dead, as we've just celebrated in Holy Week. And now as he's closer and he's within the region of Judea, again, more people are interacting with him and asking questions. And back in just the previous chapter, 19, it says that a young man came to him and asked him an amazing question. The man said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That is the best question that we could ask Jesus. And if everything else as we go forward, we might wish would have been different about the man who asked the question. This is a great question that he asked Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And there's a bit of a back and forth in the gospel of Matthew chapter 19 between Jesus and the man. Jesus says, why are you asking what's good? Only God is good. And, uh, and he says, you should do what the law says. And the young man says, well, I've done all of that. What, el what else do I lack? What else should I do? And then Christ challenges him and says, there's one thing you need to do to be complete, to be made perfect. He says, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and follow me. And that man, it says, walks away from Jesus 
sorrowful because he had a great many possessions. So he came to Jesus with a great question. And Jesus had for him a penetrating and powerful response that instead of obeying and listening to and submitting to, he rejected and denied and walked away sorrowful. So the background of our story of the laborers in the vineyard is a rich young man with a selfish heart. And one of the surprising things when we think about this rich young man is in, f- in how many ways his life was committed to the right things. Uh, I don't believe he was exaggerating with Jesus when he said to him that he had been committed in his time and effort and work to do what he thought was right, to obey the law and all the commandments as he understood them. That anyone else speaking about this man would have described him as a person of character, as a person of integrity, as a diligent and hardworking person. But somewhere along the way, that hard work and that achievement and that success that he did experience in this life did not result in a selfless and generous spirit, but rather in a selfish and controlling and hardened heart. And that is a humbling thing if we're willing to think about it, that it is possible to do the right thing, but for the wrong reason. It is possible to do our best, to do what we think is good and right. But while doing that, to actually grow farther apart from God himself. The enemy of our souls lacks no opportunity to tempt us. And when we commit ourselves even to doing the things that we think are right and good, He will come and tempt us to grow in our sense of pride and achievement with what we've done or a sense of selfishness and then a desire to keep and hoard the things that we've received so that if he can't get us to do different things, he'll try to change the motivations or the reasons for which we would do them. And what that means is that it's very possible for all of us to do what we think are the right things, what even scripture says are good and right things to do, but to do them for the wrong reasons. And when Christ himself would come to us and challenge us with the opportunity to be generous and selfless with all that we've done, that we would actually reject him, that we would walk away from him sorrowful if our hearts are not in the right place. And we see a bit of that spirit in some of the laborers in this vineyard. That they have been those who were called from the earliest of the morning to work and worked all day in their working for the master started changing the way they thought about the master 
because of the other people around them. So that in their own mind, though the master never said he would give them more or something different, they, because of their work and because of their labor, started to grow in their selfishness and self-confidence and started to think for themselves that they deserved more. And again, when we think about this, it, it, it's meant to humble us. They weren't goofing off. They weren't being lazy in their work. It was while they were working and while they were doing the right thing that their hearts over time were at risk. And that's a word of warning to us. It is possible for us to gather together in church. It's possible for us to do devotions at home. It's possible for us to work hard and to be diligent uh, in our labors and in our savings and how we handle our resources. It's possible to do all of that and grow distant in our relationship with the Lord. To begin to grow suspicious of his goodwill for us and to begin to think that he owes us more than he's ever promised us. And so this parable is meant for each of us to be a cautionary tale, a word of warning to ask ourselves, are we so committed to being right in some of our actions and behavior that we haven't also maintained the spirit of what God desires for us, which is a relationship with him. The second thing we see in this parable is a vineyard owner with a generous spirit. So there's a contrast from this rich young man who had a selfish heart to this vineyard owner who has a generous spirit. And we see that Jesus is emphasizing the generosity of the owner because of a question that the disciples had asked him in their observance of the rich young man when he walked away, sorrowful. The disciples asked Jesus, well, what about us? If, if he had so much and he walked away sorrowful, we feel like we've left behind so much. And if he was in a position of security and success, and he walked away sorrowful, they were in a position of vulnerability in leaving behind much, everything that they knew in following after Jesus. And so one of the ways that Jesus assured them at the end of chapter 19, he said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last in the last first for the kingdom of heaven is like. And so Jesus goes into this story and emphasizes the generosity of this vineyard owner to encourage the disciples that even though in their present experience they'd abandoned everything to follow after Jesus, that they could trust that everything he promised them would come true. 
that this owner of the vineyard never goes back on his word. When he invited the laborers to come into work, he did for them what he said he would do. Even though some of their perspective changed and their expectations changed, the owner of the vineyard was true to his word. But for the disciples, the words that they needed to go back to to trust that Christ would honor for them was the promise that they would one day rule on thrones with him, that they would receive a hundredfold for what they had left behind. And so the promise of Christ to them was not simply a day's wages. It was an incredibly generous promise to all of his disciples for any who follow after him that whatever they've left behind in following him, they will find him to be a generous leader who with everything that he has acquired and possessed will not be selfish and will not walk away sorrowful because he doesn't want to share any of it. But rather, he will be true to his word. And even to those who make it in at the very last portion of the day, he will be extraordinarily generous. And so while the rich young man's heart grew cold, Jesus tells this story about the owner of the vineyard to assure us of the generous and spirit and heart that God has for his children that not only will he keep his word and absolutely do what he said he would do, but he will never run out of grace for whoever comes to him, whenever they come to him, to receive the blessing that he offers. That we can trust that he is not only powerful, but he is good and kind and willing to share with others. And so at the end of his story, he asks the question to those who are grumbling and complaining, do you begrudge my generosity? Because he wants us to know and understand the goodness of his generosity. And that in his giving to one person doesn't take away from his capacity to give to another and give to another. He has more than enough for all of us and for all of our needs. And he is God. We, we have no right to begrudge his grace and his generosity for the world. And so Jesus tells this story of the generous heart and spirit of this uh, vineyard owner to encourage his disciples who in the moment felt vulnerable, having left everything behind, and whom he also knows will feel even more vulnerable in a short time when they finally do make it to Jerusalem. Now, we don't get to hear how the disciples respond to this story. I'm curious to know, when Jesus drove his point home to them, did they agree with it? Or did they ask any follow-up questions? And were they confused by it? We don't know. But Matthew does tell us where Jesus goes next. And in, in the parable, 
as Jesus made clear to them that God has done wrong to no one in his grace and in the keeping of his promises, that actually something wrong is about to happen to him. And so if you still have your Bible open in Matthew chapter 20, this is what Jesus tells the disciples right after he finishes this parable. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside and on the way he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified and he will be raised on the third day. What a contrast. In the story, some of the laborers were complaining that they had been done wrong when they had not been wrong. When the owner had kept his word exactly as he had given it. And at the conclusion of this story, Jesus is explaining to his disciples that though he had done wrong to no one, a lot wrong was about to be done to him. And so we see also in this chapter a sovereign God with a sacrificial love. If we connect what Jesus said to the disciples as they near Jerusalem with this story, he's saying that the vineyard owner is not only willing to keep his word and give everyone the wages that he promised them, but he's actually willing to give his own life as a sacrifice so that his laborers could receive everything that they promised. That though he owns it all and it does belong to him and no one can begrudge his generosity, he is the sovereign over this world that he loves us so much that he's not only willing to give things to us but that he's willing to give himself for us and that's why when we think of the cross and the resurrection that we celebrated during Holy Week we don't simply celebrate them during one week and then put it up on the shelf and move on to something else those truths are what we celebrate every time we think of our God. Every time we gather in worship, we gather because we believe a sovereign God has sacrificially loved us and been gracious to us in ways that none of us deserve. And that is an encouragement to us to trust him, to trust his promises, that if we right now do feel vulnerable and we're wondering how this is going to work out, that not only by the stories he told, but by the life he lived and the death he died and the resurrection that he defeated sin and death with, that we would be encouraged to know in our vulnerability now that he will keep us safe and secure forever. 
and that we can sing about the amazing grace that we have because Jesus really was, in fact, the Messiah. And when we think about how great his love is, the question that the Christ posed at the end of his story has so much more power in it. Who of us can begrudge his generosity when his generosity expressed itself on the cross for our sins. And so this song that we'll sing to conclude our worship, Jesus Messiah, he became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness. He humbled himself and carried the cross. Love so amazing, love so amazing Jesus, Messiah, name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, the rescue for sinners, the ransom from heaven, Jesus, Messiah, Lord of all. All our hope is in you. All the glory to you, God, the light of the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our Messiah, that you are a generous God who in all of your power and all that you possess are not selfish and hoarding, but gracious and giving, that you delight to keep your promises and to give us more than we could even ask or think. And we pray that you would help us to be challenged and humbled by the realization that it is possible to work for you and do what we think are good things, but to allow our hearts to grow cold and bitter and selfish. And for any ways that we are guilty of that, Father, we repent. We ask for your forgiveness. Help us never in doing what we think is right or good to grow further away from you. Help us to never miss the mark like the rich young man and value anything else more than we value you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. He became sin, who knew no sin, that we might become his righteousness he humbled himself and carried the cross love so